Obtuse Leadership Podcast 109, Drunk with Love. Drunk with Love. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about marriage and ministry. We talked about delighting in our spouses and how delight leads to happiness and joy within the marriage. A couple weeks ago, we talked about being emotionally healthy individuals. Last week, we talked about emotionally healthy marriages, and today we're going to go in a little bit different direction within the book of Song of Solomon. And I want to warn you from the beginning, this podcast might not be one that you want to listen to with the kids close. We're going to be talking about intimacy in marriage, and while I do not intend to be crass in my speech, you might not want to answer some questions to your little kids today. Now, we're going to be in Song of Solomon chapter number four, and I actually want to start, though, with a verse out of chapter five, verse one, part B. And here's what the Bible says. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Here's the deal. We want healthy marriages, specifically in ministry. And I believe that healthy marriages in ministry is going to be fostered when we have healthy, intimate lives in our marriage also. And here's the big idea. Intimacy is God's gift of privacy and respite to a married couple. Now that word respite is kind of interesting. It's a, it's a word that we don't use a lot, but basically it means a breathing place, a, a solitude place, a place of rest and reprieve. And here's what I believe. I believe that for a married couple, intimacy can be a place of respite from the demands of life. Now we have a problem when it comes to sex in this modern day. With sex in our modern day, it is often framed with reference from people in the world. And and in this world today, we know that our society is overly sexualized. Sex is portrayed in such an unrealistic manner in the media that it is polluting people's minds for what is normal and what is healthy and what is reasonable to expect. And the evidence of this is all over, and I don't need to point it out. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And the church has had a hard time combating this. And and in our effort to combat this over-sexualized society, we have committed two errors time and time again when it comes to intimacy within marriage. Either the first error is that the church never talked about sex in any context other than sin. And this has left people with a lot of questions and illy equipped to approach God's gift in marriage from biblical wisdom. Or as of late, pastors have erred time and time again into crass speech for shock factor. And they they start twisting the book of Song of Solomon around to say, look, the Bible talks about this. And, and they're just going for the shock factor. And, and, and this is not healthy either because it still doesn't give us a real understanding of what God's trying to do. Now, what's interesting about sex and Song of Solomon is this, is that it is veiled and it is private between the husband and wife. John MacArthur has a great quote on this subject, and it's kind of lengthy, but I want to read it to you. He says this, quote, let's face it. Overall, the song is about as far away from explicit as a writer can get. Moreover, since the symbolism is obviously about passion, romance, love, desire, and tenderness, Its veiledness serves a deliberate purpose. It speaks in secret terms about that which should be kept secret. The language is clearly designed to communicate intimate affections privately through veiled, confidential, almost clandestine terms. This is a vital point 
The communication style between the two lovers beautifully conceals all but the most essential meanings of their love songs in a way that guards the deeply personal privacy of the marriage bed. Song of Solomon is incredibly beautiful precisely because it is so carefully veiled. It is perfect description of the wonderful, tender, intimate discovery that God designed to take place between a young man and his bride in a place of secrecy. We are not told in vivid terms of all of the metaphor's meanings because the beauty of the marital passion is in the eye of the beholder where it should stay. And I love that. I think that's a perfect description of what intimacy looks like in Song of Solomon. When you read about the act of intimacy within this book, it was about a private place between him and his wife. And the intimacy between that couple was to be personal. And that's the aspect of this chapter specifically that I want to lean into. Here, here's what we need to see, uh, and here's what we want in our marriages. We want our marriage bedroom to be a safe haven between husband and wife. See, I believe that God created the marriage bedroom as a respite from the effects of sin in the world. And, and here's what I mean by that. When you look at the imagery within the Song of Solomon, there is not a language of performance, but rather there's a language of redemption. The language describing the intimate moment is veiled in euthanisms of a garden. And scholars will tell you time and time again that this imagery is really hearkening back to the Garden of Eden. So God's design for your marriage bedroom is a powerful place of excitement, intoxication, unification, and the result is that you get a reprieve from the world, from the weight of ministry, and from the demands of life. Don't believe me? Just think about how the Bible betrays sex, the sexual union. Right? There's a one flesh aspect in Genesis 2 where, where sex is the strongest form of physical intimacy for a husband or wife, but it leads to the deepest levels of spiritual and emotional connection. It's ultimately the picture of Christ in the church. We talk about that all the time. I mean, think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that both the husband and wife have needs and responsibilities to meet their partner's needs, but sex can teach us how to sacrificially live towards our spouse. Paul also says in the exact same passage, that sex can affect your prayer life. Ain't that crazy? According to Genesis 4.1, uh, the Bible paints a picture that sex leads to a deeper knowledge of your spouse. Genesis 24 shows us that sex was used inside of a marriage bedroom to provide comfort to the spouse. Genesis 1 shows that sex was the creation of life for children, procreation. Song of Solomon also shows that sex is for play and pleasure. So when you look at all of this, God knew exactly what he was doing. And there is a beauty and there is a blessing within the Christian bedroom, particularly for the couple serving in ministry. This is an opportunity for them to get away from the cares and the demands of the world. Because when you think about ministry, there's a lot of demands that come on the individuals and upon the family. I mean, those demands can be vast. People want your time. People want your emotional investment. People want your skill set. People want to know about your life. People want you in their life. And there's a fishbowl effect to ministry. And people don't mean harm by this. However, it can cause harm. And what's interesting is that in our modern world, time and time again, we see that pastors are falling into sexual sin. Why is that? Has anybody ever stopped and asked? And here's what I think it is. I think that these pastors are looking for an escape to the garden. They're looking for a respite. The problem is they just looked in the wrong vineyard. They wanted the privacy. They wanted intimacy. They wanted comfort. They wanted pleasure. They wanted all those benefits that the Bible describes that can happen in the marriage bedroom, but they went and they looked in the wrong vineyard. 
This is why it's vital for Christian couples, especially those who are in ministry, to protect the marriage bedroom and to look after their own garden and to cultivate it with health. Because the marriage bedroom is a private place for you and your spouse that no one else is allowed to attend. No one else is allowed to be there, and you're able to find Eden there. I truly believe that. So I want to spend a few moments, and I want to walk through chapter 4. This is the wedding night of Solomon and his wife, and they're consummating their marriage. And there, there's some themes within this chapter that I think we need to be aware of in our own marriages if we intend to find respite in the marriage bedroom. First thing I want to show you is this, is that intimacy and respite happens when I learn how to express my love for my spouse. Let me read you verses 1 through 7. It says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping from the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shown ewes that have come forward from their washing. All of them are bearing twins, and not one among them is lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone, and on it hang a thousand shields, all of them, all of the shields of their warriors. Your breasts are like two fronds, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadow flees, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love, and there is no flaw in you. Here's what I want you to see. Good intimacy is going to be fostered in healthy romance. And healthy romance and intimacy will be fostered in an environment of, of affection. We see that a good husband is going to bless his wife with his words. Notice that Solomon pours out his words of affection for her. And through the euthanisms, he's saying basically this, every part of you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet is attractive to me. And men, the standard of beauty for us is our wife, period. When we look at our wife, she is the standard of perfection for among all women. And so we need to find ways to compliment every part of who she is. We also see that a good wife is going to bless her husband with her body. Notice that in this passage, the woman uh, is a creature of the ear. Men are, tend to be creatures of the eye. And so Solomon is praising every part of her. How can he do that? Because her body's on full display to him, and Solomon is in love with her body. And what's interesting about this is that we actually have no idea what his wife looked like. We only know what she looked like to Solomon. And I think that's so cool because, ladies, here's the thing you need to catch. Don't worry about what other women look like on the cover of the magazine or on Instagram. God created you, and your husband finds you attractive. So when you sum all this up, you could say that time and tenderness is essential for romance. In our ministries, I mean, a lot of times everything is rush, rush, rush with deadline after deadline after deadline. Sunday's always coming. Funerals don't happen on our schedule. Counseling's not always going to be on our terms. So intimacy and marriage is an opportunity to slow down and enjoy the person who God has gifted to you. Intimacy and respite happens when I learn to express my desire for my spouse. Verses 8 through 11 teach us to express our desire for our mate. Here's what he says. Come with me to Lebanon, my bride. Come with me to Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Ammonah and to the peak of Sinar in Harmon, from the den of lions and from the mountain of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar. My bride, honey and milk is underneath your tongue. The fragrance of your garment is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Here's what I want you to catch. Expressing our desire for our spouse requires invitation to them. 
Proper expression is shown in safety and security. Notice that Solomon doesn't demand anything of her. Rather, he calls to her. He promises to protect her, to care for her, to look after her. And then there are people in our life who intentionally or otherwise are demanding a lot from our, our wives. Kids demand a lot. Their jobs demand a lot. Cares of home, cares of life, cares of work. But the bedroom can be a place of respite when we call to our spouse instead of demanding something from our spouse. Expressing our desire in our spouse also requires captivation. Notice that Solomon keeps saying this word over and over again. There's no one like her, and he is captivated by his spouse. And what's really interesting about that is he actually refers to her as his sister, which really seems odd to us. I mean, we instantly think, are these people from Arkansas? No. The word that is used is that of a close friendship. So he desires companionship and friendship with her. He is captivated by her love. In fact, he's actually intoxicated by it, her sight, her smell, her friendship. Now, listen, a lot of ministers long for deep friendships, and I, I truly believe that men need to have good friends with other men, and women need to have good friendships with other women, and I'm thankful that I have that in my life. However, the closest friendship that you should ever have in your life is your spouse. There are many things that can captivate you. I mean, you can be captivated by success. You can be captivated by your to-do list. You can be captivated by the needs of others. But we need to be captivated by our spouses and find respite in the deepest relationship and friendship we have, and that is to our spouse. So intimacy and respite is also going to happen when I prioritize availability to my spouse. Let me read verses 12 through 16. He says this, a garden locked away is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are like an orchard of pomegranates with all the choicest fruits. Hina with nard and nard with saffron and calamus and cinnamon. I probably butchered all that. With all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, and with all the choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water, flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden and let its spices flow. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat its finest fruits. Solomon describes his wife as a garden with a flowing spring. What is he saying? She is available and her sweetness is vast and full. You know, it's really interesting. If you think about a, a vineyard or an orchard, most of the time when you go in, there's only one type of plant there. You know, you go to a pecan orchard, there's only pecan trees. You go to apple orchard, there's only apples. But yet what Solomon is giving is a plethora of visuals of the garden that is his wife. And, and, and really, this is a picture of redemption. It's the reversal of the effects of sin. You know, you think about uh, the curse on man was that he was going to work the ground and get thorns and thistles. And now what he's saying is his spouse is a, is a, 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 a garden producing a variety of, of fruits and spices. And so we see a redemption aspect to their marriage. There's an adventure, and they're not going to get bored. Listen, in ministry, we have to understand something. We, 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 we tend to make ourselves available to everyone. But the question we really need to ask is, am I making myself available to my spouse? Am I making myself available to my spouse? And in our marriage, through my availability, is our love a picture of redemption? Is it sweet? Is it full? Is it satisfying? We need to ask that question. Because when we get there, then we have reprieve from the world. Last thing I want to show you is this, is that intimacy and respite happens when I express satisfaction in my spouse. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spices. I ate the honeycomb with my honey, and I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with 
love. It's important to see how much communication happened here in this passage. They were constantly communicating to each other their satisfaction in one another. You know, romance isn't going to happen without the right communication, and the foundation of the right communication in marriage is an expression of appreciation and satisfaction in who our spouse is. You know, in ministry, unfortunately, a lot of times people are expressing their displeasure in us. They're expressing the, the, their, their frustration with us or resentment to us. They're expressing the very least of what we need. Very rarely does somebody compliment, right? At worst, they're expressing their dissatisfaction even in the job we're doing. However, what we see here through Solomon and his wife is that they're constantly expressing their, their satisfaction with one another. And I truly believe that for us, our marriages can be a place of respite when we learn how to express our satisfaction for our spouses. I want to wrap this up with verse 5, part B, because this, this, this is the line that I started this podcast out with. It says, eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. And there's a really weird thing to think about, like, who is speaking? Who's saying that to them? Now, some people have said that their friends are speaking to them. They're encouraging the couple to enjoy their marriage bedroom. However, most scholars actually believe that God is speaking to Solomon and his wife. This is actually the voice of God. He's speaking. And here's what I think we need to be left with today. We need to see that God created marriage. God created sex, and this couple is to enjoy the gift of respite from the cares of the world. They're to be drunk with love. And that's an interesting expression that God would use to encourage the couple. To be drunk with love basically tells us that we will be desensitized to the cares of this world. And here's what I truly believe. If you and your spouse learn how to get drunk with love for one another, then you're going to have a secret garden within your marriage. It's going to be a place of healing. It's going to be a place of peace. It's going to be a place of respite from the chaos of the world, particularly the chaos of, of ministry. And that marriage is a place that will be like a rock. It will be a solid foundation. So learn how to love your spouse well. Learn how to delight in intimacy. Learn how to find respite in your marriage. God bless you. Catch you next week. <laughs>